about money a lot. We all think about it, and the concept of money has been right there in our faces just about every single day for the past 18 months. Whether it's the cover of the Harvard Business Review stating it's time to power out of the recession, or the cover of Success Magazine with Jim Collins touting greatness, or U.S. News advising us to fix your finances now. We're all listening to a lot more than E.F. Hutton's advice about money these days. We want to know about maximum moolah. How does that work? We want to bring maximum moolah and life together. Jim Collins puts life in perspective this way. You can either follow a paint-by-the-numbers kit approach to life and do what everybody thinks you should do and stay within the accepted lines, or you can decide you want to create a masterpiece and start with a blank canvas. It might not ever turn into a masterpiece, but the only way you can hope for a masterpiece is starting with a blank canvas. I'd like to add this thought to Jim Collins's words. At some point, it takes maximum moolah to paint your masterpiece. You just have to know what maximum moolah is and what it's not. So let me teach you what it is. And don't forget to remind me to tell you the story about a school bus. The first place to start, if you want to paint a masterpiece of a life, is with the masterpiece that was painted for us about 2,000 years ago. Let me take you back to a time and a time's time. The year is 33 AD. We're somewhere near Jerusalem, and a man is about to ask Jesus a question. Luke 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. And he thought right there, I have done it. I have met the requirements for eternity. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, this wasn't an indictment of everybody who was rich. This is not even an indictment today of everyone who has lots of resources. What this was an indictment of was anyone who is married to their resources, anyone who doesn't make a move without always checking their resources, everyone who gets up every day and their life is totally wrapped up part and parcel with their resources. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him 
and said. And Jesus didn't look around at his disciples, and Jesus didn't look around at the people who were there. Jesus looked at him and said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Really, how hard it is for everyone who is so married to their stuff that they can't see anything else. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Jim Rogers had his first job at age five. He would pick up bottles at baseball games and turn them in for the deposit. That was his first job. And it started to teach him about life and money and the relationship between the two. After graduating from Yale, he co-founded the Quantum Fund before he turned 30, and he retired at age 37. After his great financial success, making millions upon millions upon millions of dollars, and after being hailed as a money-making guru of epic proportions, he took a trip around the world with his wife. Carefree, just go and see the world. At a port in Africa, he had a chance to buy his wife a diamond that was purportedly worth $70,000. Not a real big deal. He could just pay for it if he wanted to in cash. He haggled the dealers down, however. Going back and forth and back and forth, he finally bought the stone for $500. Later, as he had it appraised, he found out that he had purchased a glass bead for 500 bucks. He writes about that learning experience. All this time, I had been advising people to invest only in what they know. And here, I'd made a complete fool out of myself over diamonds. He was being generous. He made a complete fool out of himself over a marble. Having a lot of stuff doesn't guarantee that you'll paint a masterpiece. You have to know what's real and what isn't before you start painting. This young man in Luke's story was having trouble with his masterpiece. He could have had anything he wanted, anything, but somehow he knew he needed more. And I'll give him credit for searching. I'll give him a star for asking the right person. But in the middle of being at the right place at the right time, he's at the right place. It's the right time. His life intersects with the very life of God. He's asking the right question to the right person. But he turned sad. He turned sad at the answer. He was having trouble sorting out the real stuff from the stuff stuff. And that's Maxima Mula, Masterpiece Move One. 
You have to be able to let go of what won't last in order to latch onto what does last. The response of the people is interesting. People were, were always surrounding Jesus when he was interacting with someone, and, and they responded, and they said, those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? You know what they were saying? We understand how life works. We want maximum moolah. We want to have as much as we can. We want to work as hard as we can, get as much as we can, so we can be secure. And if that's not security, then what is? If that doesn't lead to something better, then what will? And they couldn't sort it out because they were thinking what the world offers and what the world presents is the deal. It is the masterpiece. Jesus drew them that picture of the camel. And so many people over the years have debated that. What was the camel? What was the eye of the needle? What's all that? It's not even the point. The point is Jesus is saying, if you're married to stuff, you will never be happy. If you're married to stuff, it doesn't ever get you where you ultimately want to go, where I ultimately want you to be. Peter has an interesting response. He's kind of like the kid who wants extra credit in school. Those kids are always pains, aren't they? I was one of those kids. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Isn't that the right answer? We have left all we had, that we gave it all up. We have nothing. And I love Jesus because you can't put him in a box. He just flips the equation. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. He flips the, the, the equation because it's really not about the stuff. It's really about your heart. It's about where you put your heart. Maximum moolah is all about where you put the entire focus of your life, your heart. Do you want to paint a masterpiece or don't you? There are two more stories about maximum moolah as we move into Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He had, had bid for this job, and it was a good job. As much money as he could pull down for Rome, he would get a percentage. He got a cut. So the more he took in, the bigger the cut. And so he had built up his portion over years and years to where he's at a point in his life. He doesn't have to worry about anything. He could retire. He's got it made in the shade. No more problems. No more worries. Snaps his fingers. It happens. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He had heard and he wanted to know. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. Jesus is coming through. Lots of people want to see who he is. Lots of people have heard about miracles. Lots of people are thinking, maybe, maybe I could get a miracle. So he ran ahead, runs ahead of the crowd. He climbs a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. He was smart. He knew if I can get to this spot, if I can get up in a tree, I can have a balcony view of Jesus. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. 
So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And the people are going, what? Are you kidding me? This is the guy who rips us off. This is a guy who's, who's wealthy beyond anything I could even hope or imagine. And you want to spend time with him? All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But they didn't understand Jesus. They didn't understand what he was all about, what he was trying to do, how he's always flipping the equation. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And this is proof that it's not about percentage. Jesus tells the one guy in Luke 18, you got to sell it all. Come follow me. Zacchaeus goes, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to sell half my stuff and I'm going to give it to the poor and then I will pay back everybody. And Jesus says this to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Translation, he gets it. He gets it. He is starting to figure out that being married to stuff is not the answer. Stuff begets stuff. I'm not talking about that. Maximum moolah is a whole different deal. You see, Zacchaeus was having trouble painting his masterpiece. He had pulled down some pretty good bucks. He had just about everything he wanted except for the fact that there was this one little problem. He never seemed to have enough. There was that one more thing and I'll be happy syndrome taking place in his heart. But then the next month came and it wasn't enough. And the next month came and it wasn't enough. And a year went by and he was wealthier than the year before, but it wasn't enough. He began to hear stories about a man who talked about life in a different way. Life found in giving, life found in following, life found, found in sacrifice. And when the parade was coming through his town that day, he wasn't going to let being short stop him. Climbing that tree was to become the best financial move he would ever make. In the book, The Secret Language of Money, How to Make Smarter Financial Decisions and, and Live a Richer Life, David Kruger poses a simple fill-in-the-blank for all of us. To me, money means, fill-in-the-blank. To me, money means, how would Zacchaeus have filled in that blank the day before the parade. To me, money means. How would Zacchaeus have filled in that blank the day after the parade? Kruger writes, our answer suggests a money equation, a primary meaning you attribute to money. Our money equations are like windows through which we see people, possessions, and events, a portal through which we make large and small decisions. And two things that he writes about really jump out at me. The first is not having a master plan informed by expert information and knowledge is a big mistake. Not having a master plan for finances that's informed by expert information and knowledge is a big mistake. And let me flip that around for just a second not having 
a master plan informed by the master is a big mistake. In these stories, people are trying to figure out, what do I do with my life? What do I do with my money? And they're finding out that the master of all things has a plan for them that they need to understand. The second thing Kruger writes is we need to understand that internal satisfaction can transcend money. We need to understand that there's something that transcends money. Knowing on the inside that your life is right, knowing on the inside that you are painting a masterpiece. And here's what's interesting. This is not a Christian book. Kruger is an MD. He's a psychiatrist. But he's trying to look at life with with wisdom from everything he's learned and from everything he's looked at in terms of people and relationships. And he says, you know, there's two things that I see. Not having a master plan is a big mistake. And we need to understand that internal satisfaction can transcend money. Sounds to me like Zacchaeus had missed the boat on both before he climbed the tree and found his masterpiece moment. Maximum Moolah Masterpiece Move 2 is your well-informed master plan is the key to living a satisfied life. Your well-informed master plan informed by the master is the key to living a satisfied life. The Z-Man wasn't satisfied. Once the key has figured out the plan that Jesus wanted to put into his life, however... He was on his way to painting a masterpiece. So what's your money equation? How do you fill in the blank? To me, money means. What's the window you're looking through right now? Is it working for you? Or is it time to climb a tree and get a better view? One more story. And don't let me forget to tell you about the school bus. Luke 19, verse 11. Now, what you need to know before I read these verses is that a mina was approximately three months' worth of income. So just put in your mind what what an average income is for a month. Multiply it by three, and you'll understand the story a lot better. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said... A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. This is a story about investment. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. There was political turmoil back then. There's political turmoil today in the world. He was made king, however, and returned home. Breaking news, CNN, he was elected king again. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Do the math. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, 
you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. In other words, you failed. You didn't even understand. You've been watching my life and you think you understand investment and you failed at the very 101 level of investment. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest. You could have just put it in the bank, could have made something. Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said, he already has 10. In other words, they're thinking, that's not fair. That's not fair. It's not about fair. It's about understanding investment. It's about understanding what you're supposed to do. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. The servant was having trouble painting his masterpiece. He was caught up in playing it so safe, not taking any risks, that he missed the point of having an amazing opportunity. He tanked his one chance to serve the king. He had one shot, but he was so afraid of the buzzer that he held the ball and time ran out. What would you think if you were watching the, the March Madness, the final four, the championship game, the last two teams in the nation face off, and it got down to the last few seconds, and there it was, two teams on the brink of a national championship, and one team behind by two points, and they pass it to the guy who's got the best three-point shot in the nation, and he stands there, and he holds the ball, and the time ticks down, and you watch it, two, and you're going, shoot the ball, one, shoot the ball, and he just holds it, and the buzzer goes off, and the game is over. What would you think of that person? And God looks down, and he sees so many people just holding on to the ball and the clock is ticking down he's going shoot the ball shoot the ball do something maximum moolah masterpiece move three god expects you to take a risk with what he put in your hands god expects us to take a risk with what he has put in our hands you can either follow a paint by the numbers kit approach to life and do what everybody thinks you should do and stay within the accepted lines or you can decide you want to create a masterpiece. Jim Collins understands that life is this huge adventure and there, there are times and places to take a shot and take a risk and do something with your life. God expects you to take a risk with what he put in your hands. So what's he put in your hands? And what are you doing with it? This week, I got to go to the Norfolk Sports Club Jamboree on Wednesday night. And I love stuff like that. I went a long time ago to one of those banquets, and, uh, and, and Mickey Mantle was there. And George Steinbrenner was there. And a guy they used to call Moose Scourin was there. He used to play first base for the New York Yankees in the, the 1950s. And I love events like that because life is so complicated. I love it when I can just go someplace 
and, and just eat and talk about sports. Just eat a meal, talk about sports. It's simple, it's neat, it's clean. I feel better. I need that every once in a while. So Wednesday night was one of those great times. And the keynote speaker was Nick Saban, Alabama's coach. They won the national championship this year. Roll Tide. There they were in the national spotlight with Nick Saban on the sidelines coaching his team to greatness. He previously was with LSU. He was with Michigan State. He even coached in the NFL. He coached the Miami Dolphins for a couple of years. He gave a great talk. And just like a great coach, he gave a lot of great coaching sayings like, how big's your frying pan? What's your 68? What are you selling today? And then he said this, we didn't have better players we had more intangibles. And I always knew that was true, but I liked the way he said it. We didn't have better players. We had more intangibles. And by intangibles, he meant on the inside of each one of the men on the Crimson Tide, on the inside somewhere, there was a sense of, we're going to go out there today. We're going to go out there and play for a national championship but that's really not what we're out there to do. We are out there to paint a masterpiece. And that's what they did. Your maximum moolah move is to paint a masterpiece with your life. Let's pray. Thank you. I was just kidding. I was, I was seeing if you were paying attention. So he talked. He told this great story about coaching and, and all the different ways that he coaches and his philosophy of coaching. And, and I was taking notes on the back of my ticket, and I was writing furiously. And all of a sudden I realized that he had told one story that made sense of the larger story of his life. He told one story that made me understand why he had coached a national championship college football team in 2010. Here's that story. Nick Saban grew up in Fremont, West Virginia. A lot of, a lot of little boys grew up with him, and, and they all wanted to play football. But everybody's mom and dad was working hard to make a living, and, and there was nobody to round these kids up and take them to football practice. They really wanted to play football, but they couldn't get to practice. There's nobody to take them. So Mr. Saban, Nick's dad, bought an old school bus and rounded everybody up, just ran the circuit, got all the boys, got them to their Pop Warner football practice, got them to game time, bought that school bus because he saw something that nobody else saw. He felt something that nobody else felt. He was willing to make an investment. Maybe that investment back then was about 800 bucks. Buy an old school bus, all beat up, but it's good enough to round up a bunch of boys, get into football practice. And with that kind of vision, with that kind of maximum moolah investment, that father buying that bus painted the masterpiece of a national championship. 33 AD, Jesus is interacting with people. Jesus is looking people in the eye. 
Jesus is saying, come down, I want to have dinner with you. Jesus is telling a story about investment. But you know what Jesus is really saying? He's really saying this. What's your school bus? What's your school bus? What do you see? What are you willing to do? What future is your life changing? What are you allowing God to paint through your life? What masterpiece do you want to paint? Do you understand that Maxim Moolah is not about being married to stuff? It's about saying, oh God, whatever you want to do in my life, do in my life. And Jesus says, if you understand and if you buy the bus, you will have more than you could ever imagine in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. Maximum moolah, what's your bus? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, a long time ago, Jesus walked and spoke and taught He engaged real people in real life. He engaged them at a heart level, on a soul level, when sometimes people only wanted engagement at a mind level and a stomach level. Father, allow us to really want to paint a masterpiece with you. Allow us to let you paint a masterpiece of your doing in our lives. Allow the church to be a masterpiece. Allow our our jobs to be masterpieces. Allow our family life and our homes to be masterpieces. Oh, Father, in every way, do something that we can't do. Do something that only you can do as we have the desire to paint masterpieces by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us. And, Father, show us somewhere, somehow, some way, that you want us to buy a school bus and do something, do something that changes the future and lasts forever. Father, thanks for teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen. For the master's pleasure Just waiting for that sweet By and by Singing go down Moses At the levee Oh yes Where we'll lay our burden They say there's a new wind, a new wind blowing down by the mighty Mississippi, dressed in blue. 